This is a Rollmaster classic actual play set in Terry K. Anthra's excellent Shadow World using Fantasy Grounds. You can find session summaries, items and characters on World Anvil, where our campaign is called The Praise of Old Men. You'll find links to that and our other forms of media for our sessions as well as an index of this episode in the description. As usual, this episode has some jump cuts to speed up the session. For the rest of the season, we'll be joined by Colin from Iron Crown Enterprises. I've edited out all the pestering about RMU. Only joking. I know it's in good hands. Cheers, Colin. And don't worry, his mic does get better too. Finally, before the summary, at the time of editing this, we've just gone over 100 subscribers on YouTube, and the podcast downloads are very healthy too. Thanks, lovely people. Previously, the Temple of the Dark Gods claimed two of the party. Although powerful healing herbs brought them back to life and restored them, they are worn out and wish only to rest. Silk has rejoined the party, though the demon-haunted city is taking a toll on her mental well-being. The companions need to head back to the palace, rest, recuperate, and just take stock of where to go next. As you are resting in the palace, uh, and really for Colin's benefit and for a reminder, the palace that you discovered belonging to the long-lost queen, you know she's not dead, remember? Um, she seems to have been trapped somewhere in the past or escaped into the past and is now trapped there. As you rest in her palace, you can hear and see the flare of the demonic guardians that help protect the city through the murk. You remember that the wall that goes around the city is ringed with peculiar stone gargoyles. These gargoyles are able to emit lightning bolts at quite a long range. As you rest at night, you can see a flare of activity off towards your north and northwest as these gargoyles begin to defend the city. Lightning uh, bolts pierce the black murk that fills the air around you, and they're obviously striking at something flying by. You can hear, after a short while, a tremendous crash as if something is hit the outside of the city and smashed into the water. There's a great plume of something which obscures the lightning and you can see a flare of electric blue light filling the air as the air around the northeast of the city becomes highly magnetised and discharges high voltage electricity. That flare then passes and the city sinks back into its um, deep slumber pierced only by the sounds of distant children's voices, disembodied cries for help, and shrieks and shouts of people in pain and anguish. Another normal night in Melton Mowbray, in fact. <laughs> you then, with nothing else to do, the walls of the city are far too far for you to really venture uh, off to just out of curiosity, venture back into your rest. You'll recall that trapped as you are in the strange and earthly time flow in, of this city, you no longer sleep as well as you used to and no longer eat as you used to. Your body clock is becoming more and more disturbed and disorientated. However, when the equivalent of morning dawns, when you feel, and it's really through the silk and ugnan that you're gauging time, as they uh, exhaust their mana reserves and energy, they need time to recover these, and these seem to recovering at about the usual rate. So, Ugnan, it normally takes you about 10 hours to go from completely tapped out to fully charged up. Silk, similarly, uh, albeit yours is manipulated a little bit by your ability to meditate. So, it's Ugnan and Silk who are giving you some measure of time, but even they are aware that time is passing slightly differently for them. Anyway, after the equivalent of a night's rest or as near as you're going to get in this city uh, you intrepid band are ready to move on but you can hear the distant cries for help and going to the rear of the palace you can see two figures staggering towards you out of the murk looking anxiously around them there is a short stocky dwarf this will be Jan's character and there is a slightly, well, a considerably taller figure with a large, uh, impressive war bow to hand. 
Um, this will be Colin's character. I'll pass over to you folks now so you can do a quick introduction. Obviously, Colin and Jan are going to have to work on their background a little bit um, to help them out. Colin, let's just assume that you were part of not so much an expedition, but a group of hired swords who were going to accompany a nobleman from a city, not necessarily Selkai, who heard stories of fabulous treasure and riches in an old abandoned city. More money than sense dictated that this nobleman launched um, an, expedi uh, an expedition with a crew of mercenaries such as yourself, experienced warriors and trackers, but he hadn't done the necessary research to discover that the city was really a place best avoided. Yes, he'd uncovered stories that there, it was haunted and there were monsters in the city, but he hadn't discovered anything else. You and Snarkle, your dwarven companion, who will be played by Jan, are the only two survivors. All you really can say is you were flying over the island, came into view of the city, began to make your descent, and all of a sudden the sky just became filled with lightning bolts that punched holes in the vessel of your ship, uh, even damaged the iridium sheathing, which, kelp, which helps keep your ship afloat and sort of turned it into so much molten rubbish losing its ability to stay aloft in the air your ship lost altitude and plummeted suddenly into the waters crewmen who tried desperately to leap from the ship were also struck by lightning bolts those that weren't were savaged by rather horrible looking huge serpents which emerged from the waters clearly hungry and voracious you and the dwarf, Snarkle, managed to swim just about to safety. You obviously worked hard to keep Snarkle afloat uh, because, like most of his kind, dwarves obviously swim like bricks with lead boots. You were able to help pull him to the walls. You've scrambled um, over the walls with some considerable difficulty and stumbled towards the nearest big complex where you could get um, a chance to gather your bearings and find out where you were, what was going wrong, and how you could escape. You struggle through the murk, Colin, and presumably it'll be this huge hulking figure with a great big two-handed sword called Cran, who blearily stands by the door and leans out to stare at you coming through the murk. Okay, how's that for an introduction? I like it. Perfect. Good. All right. So um, you can role play this as much as you want, fellas, uh, or just skip to the yeah, 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 NPC cannon fodder. I mean, trusted companions. <laughs> excellent. Follow us. It's it's NPC 35. Come on in. Why, um, yeah. why, why are they wearing <laughs> red shirts? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look over the, uh, the jungle scene outside and just leaning there, chewing a bit of jerky and... Um, I'll lean back inside and say, "Hey, uh, there might be some others alive out here. That that noise we heard, we heard, and that flash. I think that may have been a crashed ship." I don't think you can believe. Hello, this. are you a demon? Hello. Not as far as I'm aware, but we we need help. We need somewhere safe to rest. Sounds like a demon. Sounds exactly <laughs> the sort of thing a demon would say to me. Yeah. Um, Fuck, what do we do? He doesn't look he doesn't look more like one of those weird child things or one of those big gangly things we keep having to kill. Uh let me shot off if he keeps his nose, he's real. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just disarm we... them to begin with and question them? At this point can I draw my bow? Fucking it, they're attacking. Okay. Yeah, fireball. <laughs> Yep. Excellent. Right, let's roll roll up <laughs> the characters. This is going really well. I mean, For those people watching this on the stream, this is going to be a session where we show you how to roll up characters repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I okay, could pass life typing. That will give me uh, uh, race, age, and current stealth, uh, state of health, which would be, uh, I mean, obviously we know this would work, but just in, in game to make it easy. It's a sacrifice of eight PowerPoints. Yeah, I reckon it's a demon. Okay. Right, I'll, 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 I'll get up close and, then... and I'll put my hand on them, right, one I'll... of them, and then if I um, smile at them, then you know that they're, they're not what they should, what they seem to be, 
And if I just walk off grumbling, then you know they're all right. All right, I'll, I'll walk up behind him and I'll um, I'll take the rag I've been polishing my sword, put that away, and just like look down the length of my sword as I'm pointing it at the strangers in the in the jungle. After you, Agman. Let's see what they do. Right, so you could uh, you can join our merry band if you are what you are, but uh, I've got to take some precautions first, if that's all right, uh, Archer. Right, so, so what it does is uh, it just tells me uh, a little bit more about what my eyes, more than what my eyes can see. So it will tell me a few things about you. Just uh, if you know this place, and I don't know if you do, but you can't trust anything you see or hear, really. I think that's Agnan's way of saying it's it's not you, it's me. But no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are you casting a spell then? Uh, so Acor, or rather the bowman, has his bow knocked. The dwarf um, has an axe lowered, Cran, before you get too excited, but gripped firmly. Snarkle clearly looks suspicious and looks over at uh, you, Acor, and kind of shrugs. And very quietly says, I don't think there's much we can do. We let them cast this, yes? Yeah, or just on one of you. Cast it on me, but beware if you try anything, you'll hit the floor quicker than you can put. No, that no, only needs to they're, they're, they're fucking trusting it, not being here for long if they think that we're, could be anything other than demons. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Cran, sorry, Snarkle will. Keep his axe lowered, but looks at you rather suspiciously and is clearly on edge. Okay, Ugnan, you're going to cast your spell? Yep, so flamboyant gestures, incantations, and then touch him, dance. touch him as well for plus 30. So <laughs> quite a lot going on to this. This sounds, like a, spell, this sounds like a spell that could go wrong then exactly. if we go through all of this palaver. <laughs> okay, I'll, so I'll just learn... make it one one hundred because there's no combat tracker to use. Oh, sorry, no. Let me uh, call up the combat tracker. I'm sorry, I forgot to share that with you. Uh, da, 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 da. There you go. Sorry, there's the combat tracker. My apologies. That's fine. All the while, my arrow is trained right on the centre of your foot. Calm coolness, Ugnan, with an arrow pointed at him, shrugs and thinks, "Well, you know, this is my lot as a healer." I'll, I'll nudge Ugnan in the ribs. I don't know much about your capabilities as a healer either, mate. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they think a small arrow the forehead's going to do any damage that's right <laughs> yeah don't need to don't need to uh, threaten me you see me right <laughs> I am the most unthreatening looking character that's ever been created I'm a pot a pot bellied middle aged balding healer okay um, so what will your spell reveal analyzes one living, living being giving race age and current state of health you can tell that Acor is human. He's, I don't know, probably around about 30, I'm guessing, Colin. Uh, he's a high man who's like 200. Oh, right. Okay. So the equivalent of this, okay, uh, about 200. Um, so middle age, but on the young side of middle age. So sort of almost prime of life and healthy, but tired, but not demonic, human. Okay, I'm going to just turn around and start grumbling about more mouths to feed. Okay. <laughs> Ugnan seems happy, Cran. Nothing untoward has happened to Acor at all. So Snarkle, the axe just dips even more. And Cran, you can see that his knuckles are obviously just a little less white. He's loosened his grip on his axe. He can see that the spell that was cast hasn't had any ill effect on his companion. All right, I'm going to put my um, put my sword away in the sheath at my back and say, "Come on, you big fucker!" and go, go over and give him a massive like hug. Come on, you need I'll some food. My, I'll put my burn out of the way and be like, "Food will be very welcome." Okay. Um, so the two can tell you that they were part of a, this expedition. I hope that's all right, Colin. As some sort of very quick introduction. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so they were part of an expedition that clearly the person who employed them, um, a minor princeling, really hadn't done much research at all. 
they didn't expect anything like a defended city to explore. They just thought there'd be a ruined city with old temples, palaces and so on to loot and to raid and so on. Instead, they were hit by these gargoyles. Um, and it will probably be, well, either Acor or Snarkle will ask you about the city, about what the hell were those gargoyles and who on earth are you? Did you come here on an expedition as well? At which point... Uh, Cran, how much of your story do you want to reveal? Do you want to tell them that you're in search of these artifacts or do you want to keep that quiet? What What's your story? So I'm going to just explain my background mm -hmm. so, so I can do that live, live as it were. Um, but no, not right now because we know that there may well be enemy agents that are heading here and these could be them. So we don't know right. yet. Yep. Um, so all, all I'll say is, uh, yeah, names, and we'll do this over like some some Scran back at base. So names Cran, we're uh, kind of similar to you. Got here, we're exploring, we're looking for that stuff. Um, although we didn't crash, and we're looking to aim to get out of here. But as you can tell by the, uh, <laughs> he looks down at himself, the beautiful tan here. I'm from very very far north. I, he looks over at. Um, was it Acor? You're a high man, yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. So he looks over at Acor and says, "Yeah, we could share some sort of great grandfather." Looking at you, you're a big bastard as well, aren't you? And uh, then he describes his background. He grew up with a uh, uh, basically a nomadic tribe who hunter gatherers, for want of a better word. But was he, he kind of says, "Yeah, I, I left that to become a mercenary. Wasn't really for me." looks over at Agnan and Silk when he says that and expects him to be really quiet. And, uh, yeah, wound up here. Didn't really like Selkai much. That full of, I don't know, really funny smells, concrete stuff, bricks, bloody awful. But um, oh. they have these things called toilets. They are quite they were quite useful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And he starts, glaring, he starts glaring at Silk as he notices she's about to say something. She has her finger up in the air, her mouth open. She sees the glare and shuts it. And then uh, he throws a, throws a bit of jerky over Silk's way. Chew on that, Silk. And uh, uh, So that's me, really. Mercenary. Don't really want to be here myself. Oh, my bird's on a ship. Uh, trying to get back to her as well. I'm, I'm sure um, Arissa knows that she's your bird as well, Cran. I'm sure she'd be delighted to be called that. This is a little bit like an episode of Minder, where you have this character who always refers to his wife as her indoors. And throughout the whole series, which ran for, I think, about four or five years, you never saw her. Uh, this, I think, is going to be um, your own flame. <laughs> we, we never actually get to meet her or see her. No, exactly. Okay. Uh, do any of the rest of you want to say anything about yourselves? Snarkle can tell you that, similar to... Cran, he's a, a mercenary, really, a sellsword. Uh, he's always wanted to, always wanted to think that he would be a fighter for a, a cause. But to be honest, every cause that he's got involved with has always been a bit muddy and a bit murky. Has never really been that pleasant. So he's quite cynical and despairs that really there's any cause that's truly worth fighting for. And to be honest, he doesn't really much care anymore. That's not to say that he's completely amoral, but, and he'll shrug, what do you do in what's essentially an amoral world? You try and hope that you'll be a better man than the person before you, but so much of the time that just leads to yet more disappointment. I like this guy. I, know, I, like, I, like, I like your outlook, yeah. That's perfect. You'll fit right in here. Silk, do you want to say anything about yourself as now the only woman in the party? Uh, yeah, um, she, oh, sorry, Victoria. Uh, I'm yeah, terribly yeah. sorry. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, this she is really a modern game up. because because this obviously you know we don't believe in um uh in, in binary characters in this game because we've got Victoria. We're a completely LGBTQ plus friendly game. Clearly, um, sorry, Victoria, <laughs> yeah. I completely forgot that you've changed sex. Um, all right, Silken Victoria, do you want to? go next and say anything about yourselves i mean you can keep it brief just a summary really for colin's benefit if you if you wish go ahead vicky oh. <laughs> tell them how you became a female uh no i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> it's still, it's still a it only happened a few days ago 
exactly. <laughs> well, my name's Victoria, formerly known as Victor. Um, yeah, some things happened. <clears throat> uh, I mean, I just joined these guys because they seem like they need some help in uh, doing this mission. Yeah, Victor was really actually one of say. the. No, Victor was actually one of the crew on the airship, one of sort of the hired marines as such. And when the party regrouped after exploring the island just before the city, Victoria volunteered, uh, Victor, as he then was, volunteered to help them out because they'd begun to realise that they needed a little bit more muscle and manpower. And it turned out that actually Victor, or as she is now Victoria, was a far more skillful fighter than probably the people who hired her realised. And she's turned out to be more than just a good fighter. She's become very much of, um, well, Cran's right arm almost, and, you know, a, a staunch member of the group. OK, so that's Victoria. Silk, what do you want to reveal about yourself? Silk just kind of gives a wave but looks away. You see that she's very drawn, haggard looking, more so than, well, not that you'd know more so than usual, but she's she's let herself grow weary and wild-eyed, not really okay. caring about her appearance more than normal. Okay. Cran and uh, Ugnan, you've been obviously with Silk for, um, I mean, I would like to say, a year but it hasn't if you look at the adventure logs you've actually not been adventuring for that long in truth it's been really quite packed however you've been with silk for some time you are aware that she has been badly affected by the demons in the city not so much in terms of physical damage but clearly there's something in her past which you've picked up on which has left her very vulnerable to both fear and also the stress of being in what is pardon the cliche a demon infested city she is struggling to cope and certainly john well actually sorry cran and certainly you too Ugnan, you'd be aware that she's beginning to ex exhibit um signs of battle shock right i might sit down i'll sit down i won't say anything because i don't really have anything in common with silk other than we've been together for a long time and she's got the back and i've got hers I I get tongue tied around her because she's so attractive. So I would just sit down next to her and uh, pass her some half chewed jerky, which seems like the friendly thing to do in my clan. <laughs> okay, she'll take it. She'll munch it. Ugnan again is probably quite. He's a man of few words unless there's some sort of intellectual problem to unravel, which is what he quite enjoys. Um, Ugnan, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. He's uh, five foot eight, so about sort of average height. Middle aged though, uh, graying hair. Actually, quite a good appearance now. Looking at my character sheet, ninety eight. So he must have lucked out there. But um, <laughs> but old, yeah, but, but quite old guy. Bit portly. Um, again, you probably wouldn't know this, but actually, I imagine in the month we've been together, he's he started to lose a, a bit of weight um, from all the running around. He says, "I'm a, I, I look after the healing really. Try and keep these bunch together, uh, keep them patched up." Haven't been doing too good a job, unfortunately. We all lost uh, lost two of our number. They're sitting back up in the top part of this. Uh, I don't think they're all there yet. So uh, a couple of extra swords might be a bit bit useful. And my business is really my own until I fully trust you. But you can trust me uh, as long as you don't try and betray us. And really, I'm I'm after a few bits of bobs in this city so that we can get them and get the hell out of here. And I can see the lass over there is starting to feel the strain a bit. So the sooner the better, really. And uh, we're almost done, I think. We've got one more little uh, thing on our shopping list to go. And then we'll go. And if you stay with us, I'm sure we could uh, get your lift out of here on a ship. Snarker will look up when you talk about your shopping list, Ugnan. And uh, he's quite, he's gratefully sort of chewing on some of Cran's um, jerky. He looks up. Um, and you can see he's reaching around the back for something. Cran tenses for a little bit until Snarkle produces uh, what seems to be a quite well-worn pipe. And he taps it against sort of uh, the side of his axe to just dislodge some of the old backy that is lodged there. And as he lights his pipe, he looks at you and says, uh, 
shopping list what, what, what are you looking for then valuable is it not in in gold coinage but the the level of knowledge that people scholars would would be able to talk about for ages i mean it's that is uh, well there is no price on that i mean okay it's not going to get you much money in a market but in a library god we could talk about that for hours and hours and hours okay he looks across at cran uh and he looks at victoria and says you'll you'll excuse me healer but you guys don't look like you work in a library or work for a library look understand where i'm coming from I'm just interested in helping Acor get off this island, but obviously we're going to need some coin at some point. And we were told that this city was dripping with, with treasures. This palace, and he points around you. Find anything? You've obviously taken it over. Find anything? Oh, yeah, it's coins. Uh, did we, uh, yeah, there's some old shit around here, but uh, we've got to get off, get out with it first. Coins, weapons. He puts his hand up, says, no, 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 I, I see that. I see that, and I'm with you. You you can have the use of my axe, but um, just just understand that, you know, and he taps himself, this is me, this is what I've got. There's no palace for me to go back to. There's no house. There's no uh, missus waiting for me. This is it. This is me. And he pokes a thumb at Acor and says, and him, of course. Do you my mean, buddy, but you, you this is to... what I got. He's my he's, he's my wingman. This is this is us. This is all we've got now that the bloody ship went down. We ain't got anything, so we need to get something together. We need to get some coin. Oh, right. Is that all Fair you're enough. talking about? Yeah, I mean, equal shares, of course. Uh, you ain't employees. I mean, quite frankly, yeah. you've you've dropped into a right shit show. And he looks around and he grins and he begins to light his pipe and he says, "Yeah, we can see that." Yeah, well, we'll um. If we live, all live out of this, whoever lives and comes out at the end, equal share. The one person you really got to look after is a fat bloke. Well, he's not so fat anymore. Bloke here, Ugnan. He's he's the guy you need to look after. I think he saved all our lives many occasions. Uh, so if in doubt, make sure he's okay. Well, I think it all okay. works hey. both ways, doesn't it? All we, you know, we all work together. We all save ourselves. We all get out of here alive. Okay. Acorn yeah, nods, um, and and he looks. He just wants to get, you get the feeling that he just wants to get a lay of the land uh, where he and, uh, I mean, he refers to Acorn quite a number of times as his wingman. So he looks across at Acorn and says, we, I think we just need to know what the lay of the land is. Um, and he looks at you, Cran, and he says, I don't take you as some sort of knight or, uh, you know, goody two shoes who's going to go on some epic quest because i've tried that and it didn't work out i'm not interested in a quest i'd like to make myself a better man but i'm not going to go on a quest as long as we understand that big fella i've your axe is mine so cran looks so a bit uncomfortable got that the wrong way around <laughs> cran looks a bit uncomfortable when he says that to him um and says uh yeah, I never took myself for the questing sort either. But any help you can give us is fine. And hey, some quests, if there's a bird involved, for example, they're definitely worth doing. He stands up and he like, cracks his back a bit and his neck. And uh, you notice he's around six foot seven. He's about probably approaching 300 pounds. Cran is massive, but he's very quick as well. And he's walks over fairly fast to the door and says, uh, everyone ready to go then? Silk, have you finished chewing? Your mum did teach you well. You must like chew a hundred times per per swallow there. Silk <laughs> nods. Do we know where we're okay. going? <laughs> right, so uh, thank you for the introductions, folks. Acor, is there anything you wanted to add to that exchange or were you happy for Snarkle to sort of set the scene? I mean, that was really Snarkle talking. You and Snarkle are, have, because of your employer, you came to realise that you two were about the two best and most competent swords warriors, mercenaries on the ship. Um, and you realised that most of the other group, either you couldn't trust or were frankly useless. Um, so you kind of kept an eye on each other. So you are, you trust each other even if you don't know great details about each other. I think the only thing I'd add is that uh, 
throughout the whole exchange, Baker was watching with a look of sort of vague disdain for for most of what was said. Uh, okay. His eyes perhaps softened slightly at the at the sight of silk and her clearly sort of slightly troubled uh, ways. But he just sat there quietly, okay. taking it all in. Okay. Would it be true to say, Colin, that Acor is much more willing to do something uh, vaingloriously heroic, whereas I mean, you're not quite as cynical as Snarkle? Snarkle is weary of quests that just aren't worth it. Uh, yes, but I don't think he'd ever be sort of open about saying that yeah. he's willing to do something. Okay. Yeah. I've got it. Okay, so folks, if you now look at your overview of the city, Cran and the rest can give you a quick overview of the city, Acor and Snarkle. So you've got a sort of a feeling. They can tell you that they've explored some parts of the city. They didn't come across before Snarkle asks. They didn't come across great hordes of loot which remain untapped. Um, clearly, as Ugnan intimated they're looking for an item to complete the list of items that they're after uh where do you folks want to go now that big blue arrow is that where we're going next yeah there's this strange rocky outlet which sits in a walled off bay whatever that is not far from it there's a large sandstone courtyard as well and that's where cran was suggesting you explore next if you'll recall the item that you're the last of the portal rods that you're looking for you were told is or uh, cherry got a vision of the portal rod in some sort of crystal cave or some sort of chamber that, surrounded by crystals and there was a sound of water all around her so you're kind of thinking about going towards some water where there are some structures that you could explore and obviously there aren't that many left you venture out of the palace that you've been sheltering in fortunately as you're uh, well aware there are remnants of the path and the roads and trails that used to crisscross the city when it stood on the island in its full glory. Most of those roads, paths, trails, and so on have now become slowly taken over by vegetation and so on. But enough of them remain that you can track and follow yourself to approximately this point on the city. Mm -hmm. um, to your south, you can dimly see the outlines of the big temple that you have just escaped from, which was here. So this was the temple that you had explored and have now escaped from. The air is filled with this black swirling fog, um, almost as if somebody has had a bonfire, uh, such that there are sort of smuts of blackened paper floating through the air. The air is also got a faint metallic tinge, Acor, which the rest of the party just don't seem to notice. You know, you pause from time to time and sort of wrinkle your nose and just wet your lips. The air is definitely metallic. There's a faint uh, salty taste almost of copper on the air. There's no scent but the air tastes of copper. The rest of the party seem oblivious to this and carry on regardless. Distantly to the left and to right of you, you can hear faint calls for help, but the calls for help are somewhat odd because they're asking, for example, for help. It's on fire. It's on fire. Please, please, the roof's collapsed. You can hear the sound of a roof collapsing and then the voice repeats it, itself again. It's on fire. The, the roof's collapsing. And the same sound of the roof collapsing again. If you stop and ask the others, did they hear that? They wearily nod and they'll say, ignore it. it it's either a trick or it's some sort of distortion. 
and they trek on. And for both Acor and Snarkel, this is probably the most unsettling part, unsettling part of their trip through the city. The fact that there is so much basic weirdness going on that the majority of their party just shrug and ignore. Yeah, that's that's normal. That's Tarek Nev. That's what happens. As the path begins to uh, break down totally, it becomes swamped by vegetation. You can hear the sound of the water, but you can't obviously see it. Your vision is limited to about 60 feet or so. You've now got to make your way through a tangle of ruined houses and buildings and so on. Navigating your way now towards where you want to go is quite testing because you can only see 60 feet in front of you. It's like navigating at night, even though you've no idea what time of day it is at all. You'll recall that as you glance up at the sky to try and get your bearings, the sun, the moon and the stars, or sorry, the sun, the moons and the stars all intermittently appear, disappear and track crazily from left to right and from right to left across the sky. Time seems to be both going forwards very quickly, but also backwards very quickly. Ultimately, you get the feeling that time isn't really passing at all. So I'm going to need a navigation role or some sort of um, skill role. One of you is going to have to try and guide the party roughly towards where you want to go in this gloom. The road that you are walking on made of uh, quite stout uh, or quite stoutly made of crushed granite has now um, almost dis disappeared into the vegetation. Who wants to tell the party which way to go? Uh, I've got plus 70 navigation. I'm happy to oh, you were a hired buddy. Show off. Mm -hmm. I couldn't yeah. even go. Yeah, okay. you're a permanent uh, member. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can, you, can you give me a skill roll, please? So to do that, if you uh, double click, oh, you're all over it. Thank oh, you very much. Color dice too. Okay. Yeah, these things are important to us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Acor unhesitant, unhesitatingly points uh, towards the west, slightly south. Sorry, towards the east, I should say, slightly south, and says, if my bearings are right, I think it's this way. And he points off towards um, a collection of houses and so on. Cran has a think. Shrugs and Cran, Cran looks thinks, north and he says, about 90 degrees from where he just pointed, he said, no, no, it's this way. <laughs> look, you look, 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 the birds and the trees up there are all facing like the same way. That's where the sun is. Okay. Um, Cran um, obviously thinks that you can go a different way. Oh my God. I wish you had, all I of a sudden everybody you. is now pointing. Yeah. Pointing everybody has a different direction. Yeah, like I models. know where it is. And once again, for the stream watchers, the party splits up, which makes this game really easy to run. <laughs> okay. So with the five of you headed in different directions, I'm going to stop the game we'll for tonight. We'll trust you, Acorn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So York says, wait a minute, wait a minute. And Ugnan as well. So the consensus is that Acorn is right. Yeah, we and don't Cran... trust the new guy, but we trust the new guy. And uh, yeah, and as Cran begins to think about North, Cran's thinking, mm, okay, most everybody else thinks it's the other direction. I could be wrong here, but ha, the last laugh will be mine. <laughs> so Acor leads you, or rather suggests that you head through a tangled of fallen buildings. This part of the city is quite quiet. And as you step into the city, the noises of distress that you've heard all over this haunted place begin to fade and go quiet. The air is still thick and heavy with threat. But as you head deeper and deeper into the tangled buildings, there is a great feeling of loss and sadness. You can see amongst the ruins of the buildings um, old cooking utensils, shattered pots, 
um, some faded spines of books, Bugnan, some broken tables, even a couple of rocking chairs, a small child's rocking horse, a couple of spinning wheels, both broken. You can see what was perhaps once a picture with a obviously a family picture in the frame, but it's ripped looking at it just cautiously without picking it up it looks to be a family you look to be in what would have been residences belonging to some of the citizens of this city but they're all long gone vanished and well presumably dead there are no bones anywhere but the detritus of a human city a human civilization is quite sad to wander through uh, at one point, good or evil, Tarek Nev was home to um, hundreds, nay, thousands of citizens who lived and loved and died, married, had children, uh, ate together, partied together, feasted together, warred together, warred against enemies, defended themselves against enemies. And all of those people are now gone. And all that remains are the demons that have occupied this city. Heading deeper into the ruins, you can see that these houses, some which have slightly higher walls, were probably at one point maybe two stories. So Tarek Nev was a fairly civilised city. That is to say, um, construction techniques were advanced and the people clearly lived quite well. Before too long, however, you come in sight of what is clearly some sort of large courtyard. And I'll push that map through to you now. The courtyard itself is quite wide and is clearly made of some sort of a very pale sandstone material. Uh, inlaid in it, you can see what looks like some sort of golden filigreed embossment and decoration. The gold, even though many, many years have passed, still glitters slightly, even though the air around you is dark and black. Vegetation has begun to creep into the courtyard. You can see vines and you can see grass beginning to stick through, stubbly, yellowish, sickly grass beginning to penetrate through the cracked stones. Clearly a battle of some sort took place here because you can see scattered about this courtyard, you can see uh, weapons, you can see axes, you can see spear shafts, you can see the odd broken arrow, you can see swords of various descriptions, both long swords and short swords, long and short in terms of length. You can also see lying in the centre what looks to be um, a large sort of seven to eight foot tall armoured figure. The body seems to be clad in some sort of golden armour. What strikes you about the about this corpse or this motionless figure, apart from the outlandish golden armour, is the huge wings that seem to be part of this creature. The body is face down, humanoid, with great white wings at odd angles. So they're not stretched out evenly. One sticks slightly upwards to the left and one is down to the right. The figure is holding in its arm what looks to be, um, could be a large sort of pole arm or spear. You can't tell because it's lying on the body. Nothing else moves in the courtyard at all. What do you want to do? Well, it just doesn't bode well. No. I'm just like what the the winged peoples were the Amarishi was that were they the winged people? Yes, they were. Uh, if you've seen any were pictures they... or anything, do they look similar to this? You had visions, didn't you? You came across a pool that you could throw coins into. Yeah, and when you threw those coins into the pond, you got these random visions, and so you saw glimpses of the Amarishi in various um, activities. You saw them, for example, hunting, you saw them playing, you saw them bathing, you saw them fishing, you saw all sorts of activity that the Amarishi were taking part in. 
and what you can see of this figure in terms of its height the fact that it's human apart from the wings that would suggest that this is one of the Amarishi or was one of the Amarishi um, so for the sake of Colin who hasn't uh, played before the party came across this race of people called the Amarishi who seem to have been summoned to take part in a great assault on this city Tarek Nev was taken over I suppose the peaceful occupants of this island were taken over by a woman called Vrama Vare who made the occupants increasingly militaristic and increasingly hostile and xenophobic um, summoning dark powers and the so-called dark gods of Nereti this that's the name of the people the Nereti she waged war on nearby countries and although these countries and kingdoms were much larger, with the aid of the dark gods that she had brought to the island, she was able to wreak um, tremendous harm on local kingdoms, communities and so on. Seeing that this was a terrible threat to the stability of this part of Emma, lawmasters summoned a great host that descended on the city on one terrible night and defeated and crushed both the Nereti people destroyed much of the city, but also drove the dark gods of the Nereti into exile and oblivion. The Amarishi were part of the great host that the lawmasters assembled. They're a race of people that, uh, as Silk will know, nobody has really heard of before. They are, if you like, one of Emma's forgotten people. Clearly not very numerous. Uh, if any of the Amarishi still exist, they've hidden themselves away because nobody's ever encountered these people before. But clearly they were an important part of the host that was assembled to defeat the citizens of Tarek Nev. And it looks like there is one of the Amarishi or a corpse of the Amarishi um, that's been abandoned in this courtyard. And Cran, you'll remember that you travelled to what was clearly a mausoleum for these people and uncovered all mm. sorts of weapons to help you fight them including the very blade that you carry. Mm. Might be a nice weapon, lad. Yeah, this one might get a bit angry, though, if I pick that one up. <laughs> uh, I think they're, they were a good people, and uh, I'd like to at least see to him that he's maybe buried here, because I think these are the ones responsible for destroying the evilness that was on this island. I do realise there's a bit of a risk. Yeah. Well, assuming he ain't a devil. Ah, oh, fuck it. Cran will just walk forwards to it. Okay, so the Amarishi warrior, uh, the body of this Amarishi wadi, warrior, sorry, lies prone and on the ground, motionless. As you walk across Cran, this huge, and it and the courtyard still almost echoes as your boots crunch across the ground. You are aware, as you look over your shoulder, that none of the rest of your party have entered the courtyard. You stand now well within what is a what looks like some sort of strange, very geometric, almost arcane ring. Yes, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna walk up. And so actually, I'll get about there and then I'll I'll listen. Is the sword's heartbeat speeding up or anything? Have you drawn the sword? Yeah, just in case. <laughs> You draw your sword, and as you do so, you notice now that the sword blade, as you draw it, glints slightly. There's almost a bluish halo as you draw it, almost as if there's friction between the blade and the sheath that you're drawing it from. Not that there's any resistance, but there's that tingle, if you will, as the sword is drawn. Grasping it in two hands in front of you, Yes, you can feel the sword pulsing and thumping through your hands, wrists and arms. And it is a steady beat, which indicates there is a threat nearby. I'm going to look over and say, uh, yeah, I don't think this is going to come out good. The come, sword don't like it. Come back then, lad. But his weapon looks nice. Look, and Cran has got like <laughs> dozens of weapons all over him already. 
An another one wouldn't hurt, would it? Well, it might hurt you trying Still to get it. Still looks at you and taps at her head. <laughs> oh, okay. As he refuses to come back, I think I'll draw an arrow. Okay. Cran, can you give me a perception roll as you just retreat, looking at that figure clad in what looked like golden armour on the on the floor? Okay. Cran, the armour isn't golden at all. That was an illusion. The armour is actually uh, seems to be green. The breastplate, though, of the armoured set that this figure is wearing seems to be missing. Okay. I don't like this at all. That ain't real and armor there. Then, as you clear the um, ring altogether, you can now see that there are two bodies in the courtyard. You can see the golden armored Amarishi is still where you first saw him. But you can now see there is a fountain not far from the body, just off center. And resting against it is a second figure, this an entirely human, clad in greenish armour. But the fountain was clearly masked from vision by some sort of illusion, hidden, as it were. And you only pierced that when you stepped through the circle. Now you've stepped out of the circle, that illusion um, comes back into life, as it were, comes back into back into existence, and it masks the presence of this second warrior. So there are actually two bodies in the centre there. Okay, so I'll say, uh, oh fuck, I can't work this out. I'm gonna, there's, there's like, I step forward a bit, and I'll I'll step forward another five feet, just to confirm my theory. Yep, and yeah, now there's, you can there's see, another body. Yeah, clad in green armour. Though the breastplate seems to be missing. So I come here, Agnan, and there's oh, fucking weird. There's like another body there, and he's got green armor on and breastplate missing. Step back. Look, can you see? And it's gone gold again. Agnan takes a little step forward and peers in. Green? Something. Gold. <laughs> so there are two warriors in there. One Amarishi lying prone on the ground in gold armor, which is visible at all times. There is a second human warrior clad in green armor that you can only see when you step into the circle. Hmm. Okay, step back again. That's uh, interesting. Uh, well, from my point of view, we've had a little look. It's not what I thought it was. Don't think it's on the list. Should we circumvent? Make sure we go round the circle without touching it. <laughs> Circumvent, yeah. yeah, all right, okay. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> a little known knight of the round table, circumvent, <laughs> uh, well known for having uh, lots of holes in his armor. <laughs> oh, my, okay, steady. Um, sorry, yes. So, <laughs> Snarkle pauses and he steps forward because uh, he can hear his companions discussing leaving and he says well, what about the armor and that that winged thing that angel is wearing a crown it's got to be worth something probably is yeah it's it... probably illusion as well though it could be just be a crown of thorns for all i know it's a crown of silver it ain't no crown of thorns are we just going to leave it just take a step next to Agnan, and I'll I'll stand up to Agnan as well, and have, have a look now. It looks a bit different. Nothing here is what it seems. They've got to have a look so, at Snarkle. Wouldn't go in and touch anything, though. Right, well, Snarkle will step up, and he'll step through the ring, and then he'll see this corpse as well with the green armour, and he's, he's, mm, he's not a fool, but you can see, you know, there is, and you can see as well, the Amarishi warrior, whoever he is, was clearly a lord amongst the Amarishi. Is clad in what genuinely looks like golden plated armor. You hope it's not solid gold because that's not going to give you the best armor protection. But it looks to be some sort of golden sheathed armor. The pole arm that it's that lies untrapped underneath the body could be a decent weapon. But that crown that this Amarishi lord is wearing 
although the silver is slightly tarnished, yeah, that could be worth quite a lot of money. Well, Snogger, it's like this. You know, we, we could go and fight these, and if we live, somebody's probably going to get a broken arm, which means I'm going to get a broken arm, and for a, just for a, a shiny crown. <laughs> so we've got to try and weigh up uh, the uh, possibilities here, you know. Some might call it risk versus reward. You know, I, I'm not that learned. I see you just okay. got here. You want money. But uh, this place is a habit of uh, not being exactly what it seems to be. Okay, Snarkle will look over his shoulder at his wingman, Acor. Snarkle is Snarkle is aware that he hasn't got any money, but Snarkle isn't motivated solely by money. Unfortunately, Acor sort of acts as his as his conscience. So he looks over to you, Acor, for a bit of guidance, and he's without saying anything, Acor. He's kind of asking you well do i go and get the crown or do i listen to these guys and just leave this uh acor has his his throw at the ready but kind of gives off a, a very slow almost imperceptible shake of the head okay snarkle looks over and kind of bites and chews his lip and he looks at you cran and he, Cran didn't notice that exchange at all. And he, um. he shrugs. And, and you can hear him matter. Seems a bit of a shame, really. It's a nice bit of silver, that is. You could melt that down. But if it's money you want to fight for us, uh, if you're a mercenary, we can like pay you later. What do you want a day? If no. you don't want to share of everything we find, it's safe. No, no, I, I just... Okay, and Snarkle looks, he puts his head on one side, and he just says... It's a bit of a funny band you lead here, big man. If if you're here to explore and there's clearly something that's worth quite a bit there, but it's your band. Um, you know, me and me and Acor are just grateful to be part of this. It's your call. You know, I don't want to cause problems, but it just seems a bit of a waste, really. But then he looks across at all of your weapons, Cran, and looks at the quality of the weaponry that the rest of the party are carrying. I mean, he's clearly impressed. I mean, you are a very well-equipped. I mean, if anybody casted a detect magic on you, you'd be able to see the flare of light thousands of miles away. Um, so he's clearly impressed with the gear that you've assembled. So you clearly know what you're doing and you've got you've got some wealth behind you. So, all right, seems a bit odd to just sort of leave a silver crown sitting there, but, you know, I mean, that's fine. It's your call. Crown from now, if I may... I was under the impression that all dwarves spoke in a thick, thick Gaelic accent. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that for your stream. <laughs> I'll let, I'll let uh, Steve do that. Steve's dwarf <laughs> in, um, in Middle Earth has convinced me never, ever, ever to put on any sort of accent. <laughs> unless, unless it's that horrible uh, mix of West Country and Norfolk. I, love that. I just <laughs> couldn't ask a dwarf to, all right then, my lovely, I'm not going to do that at all. <laughs> no, I like it. Anything. <laughs> do it. Do it. Thick, thick. No. <laughs> well, Cran, okay. how about from this point of view? You know, we don't know what we're going to meet. If we're going to go in the underground arena and we know we've got like General Mortillus and all those quite very bad and fight. here's a possible fight with, what, two people? We could maybe test the metal of these two newcomers. He gets his crown. He might even learn a lesson. I don't know. I mean, I'm putting everybody in danger here. We well, are the one that's going to get fucked if they get fucked. So, uh, what do you think? Up to you. I'll, so, I'll help. So grabs the crown. Ah, <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Why did you take? Are you your, actually um, running in and grabbing it? Take your eyes yeah, off from the minute oh, yeah, starts. Yeah, yeah, the minute starts all. reasoning it out. She's like, yeah, he's totally right. Tactics, <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> God, sir. So. Um, about... Are you deliberately, Magic, looking for every opportunity to make a self-discipline role <laughs> to add Not chaos to the game? But sometimes. 
because I swear to God, we're going to get to a situation where the party decide to eat. You make a self-discipline role and say, <laughs> no, let's go swimming. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost how Silk is, but she doesn't do that, you'll know. Okay. But she, she right. lets she lets things develop, and then if it's, you know, back and forth a little too many times, then it's like, okay, she's, she's going to see if she's going to do something. Okay. <laughs> Silk, um, you've listened to the argument, and for reasons best known to you, and only you understand your logic. You decide that, yeah, maybe we should go and presumably get the crown. So you step into the ring and you can see the Amarishi warrior. You can also see this other greenish armoured warrior that you notice like the others that for some peculiar reason, his breastplate is totally missing. To get the crown off the body of this Amarishi Lord. Obviously, you're going to have to get very close to the body uh, and then tug the crown off. Cran, Ugnan, um, Snarkle, um, you notice, obviously, and can see and feel that Silk then just very briskly walk past you and nonchalantly go up to the body and make to so, remove the ring, uh, the crown. So Cran is in pro process of, like, taking a some weapons off his back. He was going to give one to Snarkle and give a bow to Acor because he really, can't really use them. And it's, to be honest, he's carrying like 150 pounds of metal on his back, so it'd be quite <laughs> And he didn't really even really notice Silk will pass, so he was like had his pack shoulder off and he was just trying to get some stuff out of a scabbard. Um, and now he's kind of looked up and says, Silk, what the fuck are you doing? Lee? No, 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 come back. Okay, can I have, um, I think you've all got the combat tracker. It's that time of the evening where I ask you to, can you all make initiative rolls, please? You could have used a spell to pull it off his head, you bleeding silly cow. She might still do that. She does oh, have that is fine initiative for the start of the day there. Okay, uh, so I think everybody's <laughs> rolled their initiative. Excellent. Silk. Not surprisingly, you're first. <laughs> so the body itself is lying motionless on the ground. You'll remember that the Amarishi are these very impressively beautiful and noble humans, angels, uh, for want of a better word. Um, this one, like its kind, is tall, perfectly formed, um, to the point of being unnaturally so. Its legs and arms are just the right length. Its chest is just the right depth and width. Its face, as you approach the body, is got has got just the right sort of jaw, just the right sort of earlobes. It is perfect in every single way, uh, to the point where its handsomeness um, impinges on beauty of a very unearthly sort, like all of the Amarishi. The crown that it wears is slightly dented but is clearly made of some sort of silvery metal are you just going to tug the crown off was there anything else you want to do silk she's basically gonna roll her reasoning as Ugnan kind of mentions that while she's walking towards it and see if it even registers with her and it does so she will cast levitate on the crown wiggling her fingers and trying to pull it off that way Okay, so you're going to try and levitate the crown off. Okay, off you go. Let's mm -hmm. hope it's uh, just cast your spell and don't fumble. What I want just you to do, Silk, is this spell roll. As you begin to cast the spell, mm -hmm. you can feel the air around you thicken dramatically. Okay. So the spell roll is going to be very hard. Very hard. Done. And base attack. Yep. Thank God it's not FRP. <laughs> uh, okay. So as you cast that spell, you feel without sort of seeing the air thicken, almost as if you can almost see your breath as you incant, as you incant the words. And as you move your fingers, you can it's almost as if you're moving your fingers through water. You can see faint trails as your fingers move. The head begins to shift and move slightly, and the body of the Amarishi begins to twitch as its head begins to distort, and the crown begins to lift 
and move. Um, the rest of you, can you please make perception rolls, please? Silk is obviously focused on her spell. And with yep. some effort that she didn't realize or didn't appreciate, sorry, gets her spell off. The rest of you at a distance are much more aware of the rather peculiar change in the air. The air change to your alarm, Cran, Ugnan, and well, the rest of you occurs within the circle that she and only she stands in. As her spell finishes, and the crown you can see begin to shake and shudder you can see that the inner silver or sorry golden circle begins to glow very faintly with a rather reddish hue as you look at silk you notice that it's almost like looking at her through a mirror victoria you can see the shimmer and change inside the circle it's as if silk is in a greenhouse surrounded by glass what do you want to do all you can see is silk waiting for the crown to lift the body but you can see that it's almost as if some sort of shimmering is now surrounded the inner circle what do you want to do i want to move up to uh silk not drawing my weapon yet I'm okay. Not no, that's yep. Yeah, no, that's good. So, right, you get up to the circle, and then stop. It's almost okay. like walking into a piece of glass. Silk. Please uh, be a portal. Please be a portal. <laughs> <laughs> the figure of the Amarishi begins to twitch and move, mm. and very quickly a tall black shape begins to stand up out of the corpse and it stares across at you the corpse lies on the ground with its wings broken wings at different angles body with a trapped weapon underneath it perhaps some sort of glaive or pike the crown is beginning to lift off but this tall thin black demon looks across at you silk and smiles and says very quietly it's been so long silk such a very long time that i've hungered and searched for you ever since the house in fact i'm so glad you came back and it begins to step towards you What have you done, Silk? Thanks so much for watching, listening, subscribing. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.